0: ...season in your life when you acted a little bit wild and crazy. A time when people just saw you as a little bit irresponsible. (laughs) Okay, I'm glad to hear you're so honest with yourselves. (laughs) Uh, The first service of people wanted to raise their hands. I'm like, don't raise your hands. There's no point in outing you in front of all these other spiritual people in the room. But just think about this for a moment. What's the craziest thing that you've ever done in your life? Was it some daredevil thing where you decide to jump out of something or off of something? Was it that night that you um, went to that party and you drank a little bit too much and you decide to do things that you now regret? Or maybe maybe it was perhaps a time when you made a decision that you made and everyone thought you were crazy, but it was a decision that you weren't making because you were being rebellious, but because you felt like you were being obedient to God. Has it ever happened to you? Maybe did something that everyone else saw as unexpected and out of the ordinary and just crazy. But you saw it as something that god you were convinced God called you to do. Most all of us go through some season in our lives, usually when we're younger, right? When we do some crazy things. But soon reality sets in and we kind of settle in, right? And we try to be Mr. Responsible, Mrs. Dependable, Miss Predictable. We decide what's the most important thing to do is to earn a paycheck, to raise kids, to not do anything to rock a boat, and to basically just conform to the world around us, right? Unless we hit a midlife crisis and then it all goes back up in the air again. But we work really hard throughout our adult adult lives to look normal, don't we? And to fit in. At least, even if we're not acting normal, we hope to look that way. But what if, what if at some point in your life God comes along and wants to mess with that. Now, some of you already know what I'm talking about. God has asked you to do something at some point in your life, and you thought it just seemed absolutely nuts, and you felt and just knew that everyone else thought it was nuts, but you knew it was an act of obedience. You knew it was something God was asking you to do, and, and you did it. Or maybe you'd be on the other side of the fence. Maybe, maybe there was a time in your life where you knew God was asking you to do something, and your answer was no, God. I, I can't do that. I, I'm not going to do that. That doesn't make any sense. That doesn't seem logical. God, if I do that, everyone will think I'm crazy. And so you went around and you, you, you tried to read Scripture. You tried to ask other people to try to find somebody who would say what you're thinking is not God. But God kept opening that door and you just struggled to make that decision. You know, there was a, in first service, I was, uh, as the first service was ending, I talked with a couple, really neat, you know, you think you know everybody at Grace, you know, as a pastor, one of the pastors, yeah, I feel like I knew, and I'm always amazed by the stories I hear, and there was this one couple that was in the first service, and they said, you know, we had a very stable, predictable job uh, when we were younger, and our kids were in school, we had two teenage kids, and all of a sudden, God called us. To leave that, to leave our family back east, to move out here, to start a non-profit organization to help people who were struggling with uh, with their homes and, and upkeep of their homes. And and they did it. And everyone thought they were crazy and said, what are you doing? That's absolute, you, you don't have a job there. You don't have an income there. You don't have a home there. You don't even have any furniture there. Well, you're just going to pack up and go? And they said, yeah. God told us to, and it's very, very clear to us, and, and they did it. And, got, and their story was amazing as I heard them share how God just kept opening doors and providing them a place to live and providing them furniture and providing them this, this platform which they built this incredible nonprofit ministry that 35 years from now is still ministering to people in our community. Even though they've now let go of the leadership of it and there's a lot of people doing it in their place. There was a time in my life when I was a teenager and I did some really stupid things myself. But then I graduated from college and I got a job and I worked hard to appear grown up to everyone. I tried really hard to look like I was being Mr. Responsible. I was actually being Mr. Boring in my life. But I was doing what I felt like I was supposed to do. And God did the same thing to me. At the age of 21, God taps me on the shoulder and says, is this all that you've got? I've got something better in store if you're willing to trust me. And that involved leaving my job, leaving my career, leaving my family, leaving everything that was familiar to me and moving halfway across the country to go into ministry. And as a result of that, that crazy, stupid decision I made in 1995, I'm here today. Today, I wasn't meant to be an applause thing. (laughs) Today we're kicking off my series of talks on the Community Bible Experience And we're going to be talking about this one guy, this one wild and crazy guy Who took wild and crazy to a whole new level I mean the things that I'm sharing with you in my life are nothing compared to this guy This guy that I'm going to be talking with you about He came from a pretty normal family But whoa, did God have a plan for his life And he didn't fit into the mold at all that everyone else had for him He chose over and over again to be obedient to God no matter how crazy other people thought he was. And you might not want to hear this this morning, but here it is. Because God often chooses the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, our total obedience to God is often misread as craziness by the world around us. Let me share something with you. When you choose to be obedient, fully obedient to all of God's plans in your life there will be times in your life when people say you're nuts it's gonna happen I've been told that at times I didn't like it but in those moments I knew I had no doubt what God was saying and I knew it was an act of obedience and I had to trust Him God tells us that people won't always understand what God is up to in fact in first Corinthians it says this it says God has chosen The foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. And then a couple of chapters later, it says, The wisdom of this world, I like this in the message, it's God's word paraphrase, I think is what it is. The wisdom of this world is nonsense in God's sight. That's why scripture says, God catches the wise in their cleverness. Today we're going to look at a man who is the ultimate example of this. A man who is still known today by how crazy he was. We read about him actually last week in the book of Luke as we started the Community Bible Experience. Any idea who that was? Don't look at your programs, no cheating. It was John the Baptist. John the Baptist. Uh, John the Baptist lived an, an absolutely crazy life. Uh, Turn with me, if you would, to Luke chapter 3, or if you have your books of the Bible with you, if that's what you brought today, feel free to turn to page 9. And um, as you're turning there, let me just share with you. Um, Normally, I read Scripture from the New Living Translation. I feel like that's just a great translation to read from. But as we read through the books of the Bible together through the Community Bible Experience, this is in the New International Version. So through these eight weeks, I'm going to actually be reading from the NIV. Luke chapter 3, starting in verse 1. Let me, let me open up this story here. It says this. Luke says, In the fifteenth year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, Herod was tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip tetrarch of, oh my goodness, uh, Iteria, maybe, and Trachonitis, and Lysias tetrarch of Abilene. Let me just stop there. <laughs> uh, this is basically Luke setting the scene for us here. And what we're seeing here is he's, he's kind of setting the scene by laying out for us. Here are all the people who were in charge of the, of the area, of the region, of the, of the, of the nation, of the, of the known empire at the time, the world at the time. And he's, this was basically about 29, 28 A.D. And the area that is now modern day Israel in Jordan. Okay. Let's pick, pick up at verse 2 again. It says, During the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. He went into all the country around the Jordan, the Jordan River, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Now, this Caiaphas that's listed here, this is the same guy who later is the guy who basically organizes the plot to kill Jesus. But notice, before God starts to really use John in his life, John's already making choices in his life that are a little bit different, right? I mean, he's actually homeless by choice. He's choosing to live in the wilderness. Now, I see a couple of you here in the room who like doing crazy hiking and backpacking things with me and we and go out to these strange, off-the-wall places in the middle of Arizona. And there have been times when I've been out there and I'm like, you know, this place is so remote, so beautiful, I would love to just live here. But you know what? It never gets past that, right? For John, it does. At some point, John went out there and he's like, you know, I think I could just stay here. I could live here. And he was a bit of a loner. And he does that. Now, this isn't the first thing that we learn about this guy, John. If you actually started reading through, this, uh, through Luke this last week with us, what you actually saw is on the very first page of the book of Luke, it talks about John. And it actually talks about his mom and dad, right? His dad was a priest by the name of Zechariah. We I actually preached a, a sermon about Zachariah on Christmas Eve night. Uh, but, so no doubt, John was raised in a good, solid home. He was an only child, so he was probably doted on a little bit, by mom and dad. And at some point in his life, he decides, you know what, I'm tired of this. I'm going to go live in the desert uh, by myself and do my own thing. He was basically your typical run-of-the-woods first-century hippie, right? Sowing his wild oats, perhaps. Um, Or maybe, maybe he was out there because God warned him to be there. We don't know. Scripture doesn't say But what we can definitely say about the life of John is this, and that John was the kind of person, he really didn't care about what other people thought about him, did he? He wasn't one who kind of wrung his hands and worried, well, what will people think of me? He did what he felt like he wanted to do and what God called him to do, and he didn't think twice of it. Now, there's another part in the the Bible that describes a little bit more about what this guy is like. It's actually, I um, believe, in the book of Matthew. It says this. It says, John's clothes were made of camel's hair, and he had a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. How many of you want to sign up for that one? <laughs> now, granted, there weren't any coals or Mickey D's back then to go run and grab something neat at. But it's important to notice Matthew brought this up because it was odd even then, two thousand years ago in rural Israel. What John was doing was not normal. Some people thought actually because they saw the way he looked and the way he acted, some people actually thought maybe this is the prophet Elijah who died centuries ago and he's come back to life to come after us. And people actually were seriously considering is, is this Elijah walking around out there in the desert? So imagine, imagine this, imagine you've, you know, you're one of these people that this story is talking about. Put yourself in the story. You're at the Jordan River, maybe you're kind of playing out there having a picnic with your family and all of a sudden this dude walks up wearing camel hair, eating, popping a couple of locusts. And he says, he, he starts shouting at everybody, telling them to repent because they're living in sin. I mean, imagine this. Uh, imagine, how many of you have ever been to Romero Pools uh, and hiked out there? Several of you. It's a nice hike that's not too far from here where you can go hike in about four or five miles. and you can, There's a nice, well, I bet it, the water's running great right now with all this snow melt. Um, but imagine you were out there this afternoon enjoying yourself having a good time and all of a sudden this guy this crazy wild hair smelly guy comes walking out of the woods he's wearing deer or javelina hide whatever he killed out there to wear his clothes and he starts telling you that you're living in sin here in Oro Valley and you need to repent what do you think your response might be okay let's get out of here as quickly as possible right but that's not how the people respond it's really interesting um, I don't know maybe it was a small town and they just kinda knew he was Zachariah's boy they knew he might maybe it was kinda different but for some reason they really actually listened to him um, maybe it's because um, they believed that he was the one that Isaiah and Malachi had prophesied about in the Old Testament the guy who was gonna come that was gonna prepare the way for the Messiah Maybe they knew a little bit about how the story of how he was born. It was a pretty miraculous story. His parents were old and they weren't supposed to have kids and yet God blessed them with this child and everybody just kind of knew when he was born god got going to have his hand on him. Maybe they're thinking back on that and thinking, this guy, maybe God's got his hand on him and we should listen to what he has to say. You know, it's kind of unfortunate though as you read through the rest of John's life how his life ends. If you look at... Um, Verse 19, actually, on the top of page 10, it says this. It says, When John rebuked Herod the Tetrarch because of his marriage to Herodias, his brother's wife, and all the other evil things that he had done, Herod added this to them all. He locked John up in prison. Now, later in Luke, we see that he's still in prison. He was in prison for quite some time. And shortly after that, what we see not from Luke, but from Matthew and Mark's account of John's life is there finally came a point when King Herod's wife and niece decided they're just sick of John. They're sick of all the things he's saying, even from prison, how he's confronting their lifestyle and how it's a lifestyle of sin. And, and Herod's niece decides that she wants to have John's, John the Baptist's head on a platter delivered to her. And she got it. That story and all of its gory detail is in Scripture. But there were people, obviously, who didn't like John and they saw him as crazy. And God used him, despite all of that, to draw people back to God. Today, John the Baptist's life still impacts millions of people around the world. Christians and even Muslims. Did you know John the Baptist is talked about even in the Quran? There are Catholics and Orthodox people, Orthodox Christians all around the world who still celebrate, just as they do the life of Jesus, they celebrate John the Baptist's birthday and the day he died every year It's part of the life of the church. John the Baptist is the patron saint of the Muslim nation of Jordan, believe it or not, as well as the island of Puerto Rico. So what can we take away? What can we learn from this story today? This story of John the Baptist's life if uh, if our goal which I hope it is for you as you're reading through the Bible through the New Testament to to find yourself in the story each week what does it look like for you to find yourself in the story of John the Baptist today maybe it's just to look at him and say well that was a weird dude power to him I'm not going to live like him this is the antithesis of what I'm going to live my life like or could you recognize could you accept maybe that God's called you to live a life a little bit differently Sometimes Maybe a life like John. I'm not talking now about wearing camel hair and popping locusts or whatever. But what if God called you to do hard things? What if God called you to do crazy or radical things just like he did John? Would you be open to it? Or would you kind of close your ears and run the other way? With the rest of our time this morning, here's what I want to do. I want to just take a few moments and I want us to look at this story of John and just find maybe three or four things about his life that were a little bit wild, a little bit crazy, but things that Jesus spoke of as ways that we should all live that can perhaps impact how we live our lives today. Let's start by looking at verse 10 as we see that John the Baptist lived crazy and that he lived simply and he also lived generously. Verse 10 says this. Um, What should we do then, the crowd asked. The crowd that was gathered around him as he was telling for them to repent. And here's John's answer. He says, anyone who has two shirts should share with the one who has none. And anyone who has food should do the same. Isn't that an interesting response? He's telling them they're living in sin. And then they say, so what do you want us to do, John? He says, if you've got too much stuff, give it away. Don't keep more stuff than you actually need. Think about it. Honestly, how many of you have clothes in your closet right now that you haven't worn in over a year? Many of you, right? Yet you hold on to them just in case, right? For many of us, we have closets and garages filled with stuff. We have attics. We even have storage units rented filled with stuff that we have there just in case, Right? Just in case. Have you ever gone through some of that stuff because you're trying to find something in all the pile and you're like, oh, I didn't even realize I still had that. Right? But there it is. When's the last time you just went from room to room and asked yourself, do I really need that anymore? Do I need this anymore? Or can someone less fortunate than I have better use of it? You know, at our house, we don't even bother with garage sales anymore during those times. We're just like, who wants to waste the time labeling all that stuff for a buck or a quarter? We just decide, let's just pack it all up in, a, in the car and bring it to Goodwill. Allow people to get it there. Creates jobs for our, our community at the same time. Uh, and, and one of the things that's really neat, uh, one couple here at Grace, uh, Rick and Brenda Drost, they're a part of some a ministry here in town called the Care Portal. And it's a partnership between... The church, Grace Community Church and other churches, and the state. And as state workers, maybe it's CPS workers or uh, others, are working with families who have needs and they discover what, the, what those needs are, they, those people will log into this thing online called the Care Portal and share those needs and where those people are living so that local churches can engage, find out what those needs are, and then go meet those needs for those families. And Rick, Rick and Brenda are doing that for Grace. Brenda's actually telling me between services, she said our living room is now not even our living room anymore. It's kind of been transformed. We've got people's, oh, people's furniture that they've gotten rid of, baby clothes, uh, cribs, things like that, all the things that Care Portal is looking for. People have been just donating it to them, and they're holding it, and then giving it out every time they get a message from the state saying there's a need, which I think is awesome. So if you've got... Baby stuff, kids' clothes, furniture, appliances, give Rick or Brenda Dross a call, call the church. And they can take it off your hands and make sure it gets in the hands of someone who needs it. I love that. And that's what, that's what I think, one of the things that John is talking about here. It's like if you've got more stuff than you really need, then why are you holding on to it? Why don't you instead give that away and allow God to use it? Let, let be, that be your ministry. The world may call that crazy, but God calls it obedience. You know, I've come to discover at least three families here at Grace Community who have made a choice to live in homes of less than 1,000 square feet. One of those families actually has kids, have several kids, and, and they live in that, in that small space. And some people will look at th- those families and say, Why are you doing that? That is so crazy. Why would you choose to do that? And it's not, it's not because they can't afford something larger. It's, by, it's because they would say, this is something God's asked of us. And this is an act of obedience that we're taking. Crazy, right? Yet God has this ability sometimes to speak to our lives in ways that can be unsettling, that the world just doesn't understand. But God does. God knows what he wants to do in our lives and through our lives to make a difference. And that's what we see in the life of John the Baptist. The world says, accumulate more stuff, bigger stuff. And God says, keep what you need, give away the rest. So John the Baptist is a great example to remind us to live lives of simplicity and generosity. But also, he is crazy in living a life of integrity. John's life, uh, John's life is causing all kinds of people to take notice in this story not just religious people. He's got military and government employees even going after him and asking him questions. Asking him, them, asking him how to live their lives. Look at verse 12. It says, Even tax collectors came to be baptized. Teacher, they asked, what should we do? Don't collect any more than you're required to, he told them. Then soldiers asked him, and what should we do? And he replied, don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. I mean, picture this. All these people are coming up to, to John. Not just spiritual people. Not just religious people. They're just people in the community are coming up to him and it's like, What are we doing wrong? Tell us how we can live in a way that honors God. And he tells these soldiers, I, I, know, I know you can make up things about people and take advantage of them and the government will back you up because of your position. I know you can use your position of power to make false accusations of other people and collect bribes off of them to get your way, but if you do that, you're not living a life of integrity. And then he, looks, then he looks at the tax collectors, those people who were considered by society to be the scum of the earth because of how they took advantage of other people. And he said to them, I know that the government says, the Roman Empire says, that you can collect whatever you want, from people that you're collecting taxes from, and you have that right as long as you give to Rome that little piece that they're expecting of you. But that's not a life of integrity either. Stop it. You know, I, I have a really good example of this that I'll share with you. Um, a couple of months ago, I had a friend of mine here at Grace give me a call, and he was struggling with a decision. And he he told me, so. he's like, Dave, you know, I, I, I need to bounce something off of you so that, you know i 'm struggling my boss keeps telling me that I need to sell product that I know that the customers don't need and that i need to i need to sell services to them that I know that they don't need telling them that things are broken that I know aren't broken and it just i just keep th- i keep thinking well, this is going to get better it 's going to stop things don't, you know but it just doesn't stop. They, I keep having, to keep being expected to meet these quotas, whether people have real needs for this or not, and I, and I'm not sure what to do. And uh, I, I, knowing this, knowing the story of his life, I, kn- I knew that there was a time not too long pre- before that where. He had really struggled with holding down a job in his field that was really solid and provided a paycheck that would make sure his family's needs were met. And now he has this stable income. He's not having to worry about living paycheck to paycheck anymore. But there's this tension there. And he's like, what do I do? And in that moment, I put the camel hair on. (laughs) I'm like, I think what's happening is, aren't you struggling because God's telling you to walk in integrity? And he's asking you to trust him? Wasn't the answer he was really wanting to hear. But he knew that that was what God was saying to him. The next day I got an email from his wife. She said, when he told me that he was going to talk with you about his job situation, I prayed that God would speak through you and give us the answers we needed. I truly feel like God did just that. One of the things I tell my, our children weekly is that God and integrity go hand in hand. The one thing someone in this world can't take from us is our relationship with God and our integrity. When he told me that you talked with him about integrity, I knew that was God. As I typed this email, he's on his way to quit. He's on his way to the office to quit his job. A job God blessed him with almost two years ago when he had lost his job. We don't take that lightly. I know God has a plan, and part of it, I am sure, is to continue to remind me to surrender it to him. He went on an interview at another place, hoping that God was going to speak and work through this situation, and he was offered a job on the spot. There are a handful of letters that I have kept over the years that remind me why I do what I do, and that is one of those. I will cherish that email. Because for me, that email is a reminder to me that there are times in our lives when God calls us to put the camel hair on. There are times when God calls us to live lives of integrity or to challenge others in the body of Christ, those who have made it as intentional decision to follow Jesus, to step up to the plate and to live a life of integrity themselves, to not wash our hands of it and say, well, it's none of my business. But there are times when God calls us to be like John the Baptist and say, what you're doing as a follower of Jesus, it's not right. God's calling you to do something different. Are you willing in those moments to put the camel hair on? Are you willing to live a life of integrity and to even challenge people you know who, who have made a decision to live this life when times get really hard? Are you willing to walk alongside them in those moments? That's what we're talking about here this morning. Sometimes God puts us in places that are uncomfortable. That the world says, that's crazy. Why would you do that? And God says, no, it's not crazy. It's obedience. One last one I'll share with you from the life of John the Baptist. We can see in John's life that he was crazy in his humility. Look at verse 16. Verse 15 it says the people were waiting expectantly and were all wondering in their hearts if John might possibly be the Messiah. John answered them all, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I will come, the straps of whose sandals I am unworthy to tie, untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. You know, it's natural to work uh, hard to be successful in this life and to do things for God that brings the love and the respect and the accolades of other people. And over time, that success and praise can cause us to look to ourselves and to take some of the credit. But what we see from Scripture is God tears down the proud and He lifts up the humble. People by this time, they were wondering if John the Baptist was the Messiah if he was the Christ, he had that much wisdom and that much influence in the culture around him. He could have, he could have expanded his ministry right there, right? Yet he said in that moment, I'm not even fit to tie the, untie the sandals of the actual Messiah. Another time this came up in another story in the, in the Gospels. And he said, no, I'm not the Messiah. Don't even look to me. Look to Christ. He's the Messiah, and then he already says, John says, He must become greater and I must become less. Right? It's a life of humility. Let me ask you this morning, how crazy are you at being humble? Not, not a false humility where you, you say the right things just to look, make yourself look better. But true Humility humility that constantly lifts others up and lifts Christ up even when that means putting yourself down or by the wayside guys God calls us at times to live the crazy life a life that the world just sees is a little bit different a little bit off and whether it's to take a pay cut to live a life of integrity or to step out in faith to make a difference in the lives of other people and we don't even know what the road ahead of us is going to look like. We can't get hung up on what the world says of us. As it says in 1 Corinthians 3 in the message paraphrase, I love this. It says, Don't fool yourself. Don't think that you can be wise merely by being up to date with the times. Be God's fool. That's the path of true wisdom. What the world calls smart, God calls stupid. <laughs> So what's it like for you to put the camel hair on? Do you need to speak up? Say the godly thing to others who might see you as crazy or naive or irresponsible? Is God perhaps this morning wanting to chip away at your pride or maybe your false humility to bring you to a place where you genuinely live a life of humility or maybe to live a life of simplicity and generosity? One day it'll make sense to us. It doesn't now. But God often chooses the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. Total obedience to God is often misread as craziness by the world around us. So may you wear the camel hair when God calls you to. May you wear it knowing that God, the world may call you crazy, but God calls you obedient. Obedient. Would you pray with me? Lord, I want to thank you for this time this morning to be in your word. Lord, I'm excited about this experience we're going to be on here over the next few weeks as we read through the New Testament together. We explore it and we see how we fit into the story of the New Testament. Lord, I pray each day as we are reading the Bible and for some of us it's a challenge to just be faithful to do it but Lord, I pray that every day that we do so that it will be rewarding. That we'll come away from it seeing how you're speaking to us about the story of our lives and how we're to live in a way that honors and blesses you and that brings you glory. Lord, I believe there are many of us in this room today who are in the place that John the Baptist was in early on in his life a place where he had to make some hard decisions about whether or not he was going to live a life that everyone thought was normal that everyone thought was responsible and respectable or to live a life that honored you regardless of how crazy it looked God I pray for every man, every woman every student in this room that you would give us the guts, the courage to follow through on what you ask us to do. To be relentless in our obedience. Yes, when we have questions, we, Lord, that you would send us to the right people, the right godly people who can speak wisdom into our lives and make sure we're hearing your voice. Yes, to be people of God's word. And we, as we read God's word, it would clarify what you're saying to us. But Lord, in those moments when we know, when we know without a shadow of a doubt what you're asking us to do, God, would you help us? To be like John. To be willing to live a wild and crazy life. To make those decisions that everyone else thinks is, is stupid. In honor and obedience to you. And God, as a result of that, we would love nothing more than the, to know one day. Yeah, that people might come, may, ha, might be drawn closer to you as a result of it. But more importantly than that, that when that day comes... And we're standing face to face with you. That we hear the words, well done, good and faithful, obedient servant. I asked some crazy things of you. I asked some difficult things of you. And you said, yes. You said, yes. I'll trust you. God, I pray for every person in this room who is here today and those who are listening online who have never said yes to Christ at all. Maybe you're here today and you're here just because a family member invited you or maybe you lost a bet, I don't know. But you're here this morning and I think it's no accident that of all days God has you here for this message where we're talking about what it looks like to be crazy, obedient to God. What would it look like for you today to take that first step toward Christ? What would it look like for you to say, God, I don't know what you have in store for me, but whatever it is, I want it. I want it. And to ask God, your creator, to come into your heart, to come into your life, to surrender your life to him and to trust him from this day forward with everything, with your future, your family, your finances, all of it. If that's you this morning and you'd like to make that commitment to Him or to recommit your life to Christ because maybe that conversation with God is long past in the rearview mirror, let's bring it back and ask God to do a work in and through your life. Pray this prayer with me in the silence of your heart. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for bringing me here today. Lord, I thank you that you have helped me find a place of grace, but also a place of that isn't ashamed to speak your truth. God, may I be a person like that. God, I ask that you would come into my life and do a work that only you can do. I ask that you would forgive me of all of my sins, all those decisions that I have made that haven't honored you. God, I ask that you would take the driver's seat of my life, that you would take control of my life from this point forward as I surrender everything to you. God, help me to live humbly. Help me to live simply and a life of generosity. And help me to live a life of integrity. Help me to live a life that honors you. God, I ask that not only would you forgive me of my sins as I confess that you are my Savior and Lord, but I ask that you would come into my heart and begin to change me from the inside out. And make me into the man or woman of God that you've called me to be, that you've wanted me to be all along. But I wasn't willing before. I'm willing now. And I thank you for meeting me here today. In Jesus' name, amen.